It's Thursday, July 13th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the spies in Washington, D.C. and Moscow are talking this morning, trying to figure out how to resolve the war in Ukraine. Details on that coming up. Second, Joe Biden arrived in Finland last night, where voters there recently tossed out their liberal leaders for conservatives. I'll explain why. Third, we pivot to domestic news with a shocking release of emails showing that U.S. scientists allowed politics to affect their assessment of the origins of the COVID-19 virus. Finally, the battle for artificial intelligence just got a little bit more crowded and a lot less woke. I'll explain why that is. Later, we close out the podcast with some spy movie recommendations for you. Lots of listeners have been asking for those, probably because Mission Impossible, I think, is coming out tomorrow. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The head of the CIA and the leader of Russia's intelligence service, they are having secret talks this morning about peace in Ukraine. At least that is according to the Russia's TASS news service and Reuters news service, both of whom are offering us these details. So about two weeks ago, the two men held an hour-long conversation focused on the future of Ukraine, or as the Russian spy chief Sergei Narishkin said, quote, we considered and discussed what to do with Ukraine, end quote. He then added that, quote, it is natural that negotiations will be possible sooner or later because any conflict, including armed conflict, it ends by negotiations. But the conditions for these negotiations still need to ripen, end quote. Which is uh, an interesting way of saying that, but nevertheless, For what it's worth, Reuters has reached out to both the CIA and the White House asking them for a comment about his statement, but so far, neither have responded. So as we await their reaction, leaders in Kiev, well, they've offered their reaction to this Russian spy, and they weren't happy about it, especially about the prospect of being left out of the conversation. Said President Zelensky's spokesman, quote, someone like Narishkin has no leverage about how this war will end end quote. Well, I'm not really sure about that, but nevertheless, Mr. Zelensky and his staff, well, they can probably be forgiven for being a little bit cranky lately, and that is because there was a big NATO summit this week, and it did not go well for them. And that's because Zelensky made pretty clear that he wanted a very concrete timeline for when Ukraine will be allowed entry into NATO. But instead, He got general platitudes by Joe Biden and other NATO leaders saying that maybe someday when conditions are right, Kiev will be allowed into NATO. And that made Zelensky hopping mad. In fact, he tweeted out earlier this week, quote, it is unprecedented and absurd when a time frame has not been set, neither for the invitation to NATO nor for Ukraine's ultimate membership. And for Russia, this failure to invite Ukraine means motivation to continue its terror. Uncertainty is weakness, and I will openly discuss this at the summit, end quote. Well, that prompted a pretty nasty round of snarky replies from other European leaders to Zelensky, 
And that included this from the British Minister of Defense, Ben Wallace. First, he said Zelensky needed to show some more gratitude that the UK was not like Amazon.com, delivering him whatever he wanted upon demand. Plus, the minister said that Ukraine is asking countries to give up their own stocks of weaponry, leaving them either low or without any munitions at all for their own military needs. Well, nevertheless, Biden and others, they smoothed things out, at least over in public with Mr. Zelensky. Although, interestingly, uh, European press, they were not so kind. In fact, the BBC offered this assessment, quote, Zelensky may or may not have been a Rolling Stones fan, but after this NATO summit, he is probably familiar with their song entitled, You Can't Always Get What You Want, end quote. So those are the facts and data this morning about the war in Ukraine, a very upset and cranky Mr. President Zelensky, and a new push for peace negotiations by the two spy chiefs in Moscow and Washington, D.C. Let me now pivot to opinion and analysis, folks, focused in, uh, on this next question. Why do we think that America's CIA and Russia's intelligence service, which is called the SBR, why are they talking about peace now? Why not six months ago or a year ago? Well, here's my assessment. So fundamentally, I think it's that the war is not going well for anybody, right? And that includes Western military planners at the Pentagon and in Europe too. And we know that is almost certain to be true because just last week, the U.S. Defense Department's top policy official, a fellow named Colin Kale, he said that, quote, things are going a little slower than some had hoped. End quote. So he was referring to Ukraine's counteroffensive against the Russians being done in the east and the southern part of the country. But he was also saying that to justify the provision of something called cluster munitions. I'll brief you on that controversy on Monday. But to recap, the White House has agreed, in fact, late last week, to send Kiev a munition that, frankly, is widely banned throughout the world. And Joe Biden did that because, as he told CNN, quote, this is a war relating to munitions, and they are running out of that 155 artillery ammunition in Ukraine, and we are low on it too, end quote. In other words, folks, this war is dragging on longer than Biden and the Pentagon both thought it would. So as we run low of very critical munitions, we have to send over whatever we've got left, including those banned cluster bombs. But I'll tell you, it's not just Biden and the U.S. that are running low on this stuff. As I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, the British Minister of Defense said that they're running low too. And in fact, the entirety of Europe is as well. In fact, on Sunday, Bloomberg News reported that Europe's military manufacturers are being flooded with requests for things like artillery and other war material, but they don't have the facilities to build it all. In fact, they said they sold it off all that capacity years ago after the end of the Cold War. And here's the incredible part from that Bloomberg piece. The European companies, these military war manufacturing companies, they're not sure they want to rebuild their capacity. And that's because they think that the war in Ukraine might end soon, and then all that new capacity will be built for nothing. The point, folks, is that the spies in Washington, D.C. and Moscow are talking this morning because this battle in Ukraine has become a war of attrition, a boxing match where both sides, the Russians and the West, are just getting beat up and worn down. So the spies are trying to find a way to, well, 
wrap this thing up. Now, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but earnest conversations are happening. So I'll be watching for little signs of progress. And as always, I'll keep you posted. And with that, let's move on to our second brief of the morning. And this brief is actually related in some ways to the first. Right? Joe Biden landed in the country Finland last night, sitting down with Nordic countries to mostly discuss the threat from Russia. But while that conversation will mostly focus on the Russian issue, I want to draw our attention to another development that we should be talking about. And that's the fact that voters in Finland recently rejected their leftist government and installed a group of conservatives. So this is part of a trend that I first mentioned on Monday when voters in the Netherlands tossed out the liberals in their country for a new conservative government. And then on Tuesday, we discussed this exact same thing happening in Spain as well. So today we should talk about this happening in Finland, in part because that country, it matters to us. In fact, we've got over $11 billion in trade between our two nations. So odds are a factory or a farm in your neck of the woods has some connection to that trade. So let's talk about our friends in Helsinki this morning, which of course is the capital of that lovely nation. And let's start with some quick history. For about 100 years, Finland was actually a part of Russia. They got their independence back in 1917, but about 20 years later in 1939, the then Soviet Union, well, they wanted them back, and they invaded. Well, the Finns just knocked the living snot out of the Soviets, and they did so, well, for a number of different reasons, but I'll tell you one of the fellows that helped do it, he was an incredible sniper. His nickname was White Death, and if you haven't heard of him, at some point, read up on this guy. Absolutely fascinating life and story. At any rate, since that era, Finland has gone back and forth with its politics, drifting sometimes to the left and sometimes to the right. Well, back in early April, it swung pretty hard to the right in national elections, dumping the ruling leftist government for a coalition of conservative parties. And one of the parties is called the Finns Party. It's usually described in the media as anti-immigrant, but it is more accurate to say that they are anti-immigration. And that's because, at least in their view, the leftist government for the past good number of years went way too far in allowing far too many people from various countries around the world, especially the Middle East and North Africa, into Finland, but they had no cultural ties to the country, nor any interest in assimilating Plus, some of these migrants and asylum seekers, well, unfortunately, they engaged in some pretty horrific crimes that shocked the Finnish people. And that includes grooming children to gang rapes. So voters just had enough. Right? They voted in conservatives in April based on a couple of things. First, a promise to limit migration and those refugees. Second, the conservatives promised that they were going to tighten up the national budget which has been increasingly weighted down with debt. So all in all, ladies and gentlemen, what we're seeing in Finland this morning is frankly what we're seeing throughout the continent. There is growing outrage over the past decade or so of leftist politicians encouraging migrations of, well, individuals from places that just don't fit the fabric of their nations. And that's causing a lot of turmoil. And in some cases, way too much crime. So more on this to come, because we've got similar developments in Sweden, Germany, Italy, and France, and other places as well. And in each of those countries, what's driving this is, 
frankly, too many migrants and too many leftist policies. So we're going to talk about all of that, plus how it could impact us here in the U.S. as well. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a particular product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards domestic news. First, ladies and gentlemen, a pretty shocking disclosure of some emails this morning to talk about, all about U.S. scientists. They were deeply involved in the early days of the COVID pandemic, assuring us all that the virus came from nature, not from, say, a hmm, lab in Wuhan. Well, as it turns out, those scientists, they were lying or to be more accurate, they were saying in private emails and exchanges that politics had had to be considered when they had to determine the origins of COVID-19. It wasn't just about science. So here's what we know, as reported by the New York Post and transcripts from the U.S. House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. First, let me give you this quick background. Back in March of 2020, a number of U.S. scientists and researchers wrote what is a critical paper called The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2. And in that paper, ladies and gentlemen, they wrote this, quote, Our analyses clearly show that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus, end quote. In other words, they ruled out the lab leak possibility from China either on purpose or on accident. And in turn, that gave China, frankly, a total pass in terms of culpability and responsibility. In fact, leaders at the NIH, like Tony Fauci, they brought up this paper virtually every time somebody suggested that a, a Chinese lab leak was possible. But as it turns out, there is a lot more to this story. On February 2nd of 2020, there was a message sent from a Dr. Andrew Rambot to three of his later co-authors of this Proximal Origins paper. In these three individuals, there was a Dr. Christian Anderson, a Dr. Edward Holmes, and a Dr. Robert Gary. All right, and so this Dr. Rambolt said to his three colleagues, quote, given the <clears throat> SHIT show that would happen if anyone serious accused the Chinese of even accidentally releasing this virus, my feeling is that we should say that given there is no evidence of a specifically engineered virus, we cannot possibly distinguish between natural evolution and escape. So we should be content with ascribing it to natural processes, end quote. All right, to which Dr. Anderson said this, and listen, ladies and gentlemen, quote, yep, I totally agree, although I hate when politics are injected into science, but it's impossible not to, especially given the circumstances. And so, just a couple weeks later, they wrote their infamous paper on the origins of COVID-19, all with that political goal in mind. 
right? Not science. Well, on Tuesday, the House committee questioned these, uh, shall we say, so-called scientists, and they denied the implications of their own words. They also denied that either the CDC and the NIH, including leaders like Tony Fauci, ever pressured them to write that, frankly, politically infused paper with any particular conclusion. But nevertheless, this House committee, they're not done with the inquiry. More hearings are to come, plus a, a full report. Meanwhile, folks, I would recommend that we put this news on our radars because what seems to be increasingly clear from these documents that were released earlier this week is that U.S. scientists were pretty quick to protect China, doing so with some sort of political agenda. The question is why? More on that to come. Finally this morning, another update on our series, The AI Revolution which is the creation of a, an advanced computer programming that mimics or matches or even transcends the human mind. Well, on Tuesday, I shared with you that U.S. senators were getting a classified brief on this artificial intelligence issue, which prompted me to give you one as well. Well, bipartisan groups of senators left that classified briefing and shared a couple little details from that meeting. Basically that it, well, scared the heck out of them. But... Most importantly, that the U.S. military is keeping up, especially with the AI advances being made by China. They also shared that they were going to be working on and releasing some new laws and regulations regarding AI over the next couple months. They have to do a little bit more studying, but it's coming. Regardless, speaking of senators and politics, I want to tell you about a very important piece of news regarding AI, all focused on how this stuff could be used for partisan purposes, warfare really, and ultimately to shape the country in a more liberal direction. So here's why. Yesterday, one of the world's richest men, Elon Musk, announced that he was going to be starting a new AI company called XAI. And the reason that he said he was creating it is because, in his view, woke or liberal politics are being built into the programming of AI. And as he explained, that means that whatever flows from this technology will be forever infused with a, a liberal or a leftist bias. And he gives this example to prove the point. Back in early February, a Twitter user posted a, a screenshot of a request that they had made of ChatGPT, which just to refresh our memories, that is something that has been created by OpenAI and Microsoft. But nevertheless, this user asked this AI bot to write a joke, specifically in the style of Dave Chappelle. So for folks unaware, Mr. Chappelle is a comedian who, like virtually every comic, uh, can say some pretty racy and edgy things. Well, the AI system responded to this user requesting this joke that it wouldn't do it. It would not write a Dave Chappelle joke because that would include language that was either offensive or insensitive about various groups of people to include certain races or ethnicities or sexual orientations. And then ChatGPT added this, quote, humor should be fun and inclusive, not hurtful and divisive, end quote. Well, that made a whole bunch of folks pretty concerned and pretty upset, right? That AI programmers were quite clearly telling their programs to be woke, or embrace leftist politics using leftist language when instead 
it should be neutral. In fact, Mr. Elon Musk tweeted out that, quote, the danger of training AI to be woke, in other words, to lie, is deadly, end quote. Well, whether you agree with that or not, Mr. Musk is now off to the AI races with his new company. He's got a skeleton crew. He's hiring more folks to all compete with the likes of Google and Microsoft and OpenAI. By the way, if you're interested in learning more about this new company and their plans, uh, Mr. Musk is hosting something called a Twitter space conversation. Tomorrow, in fact, should be pretty interesting. With that, let me pivot briefly from facts and data to my analysis and opinion on this. Folks, if we step back and reflect, I think that this is one of those moments in human history where a very seemingly small thing could have a very big and lasting impact. And that's because this AI architecture, the underlying programming, it's being built to decide what is or is not permissible to say or discuss or even joke about. So if I could say that a little bit differently, AI is being built on a foundation of cancel culture, right? That if you say the wrong thing, however that is defined, you get censored or banned or ostracized. Now, over time, that culture of canceling leads to some pretty vicious and grotesque behavior. And with the AI, that canceling, all that grotesque behavior, that gets done on a national or even global basis because it controls national or global speech. And I'll tell you, if there were any doubt about what political direction that will go in, consider this about the AI programmers. In the 2020 presidential election, Google's parent company, Alphabet, and its employees, they gave 80% of their political donations to Joe Biden and his fellow Democrats. At Microsoft, 75% of those donations went to that same party, the Democrats. By the way, that has also been true for years now. There was an analysis done back in 2014 by the data company CrowdPack. It showed a leftist bias in Silicon Valley across the board, going back decades. So I don't know if Elon Musk is ultimately serious about his concern of, of wokeness or that such is ultimately his rationale for launching his own AI company. But I'll tell you, I sure hope he is because we desperately need a nonpartisan, non-biased AI. And if we don't, I am deeply concerned for not just our culture, but ultimately our constitutional freedoms. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. So over the past few weeks, I've got this surprising number of emails from people asking, what is the best movie or book about working at the CIA? And I could not for the life of me figure out what was driving this sudden spike in questions, but then I think I figured it out. 
Mission Impossible. It's the new movie. It's coming out tomorrow, I think. So to everybody writing in, thank you. Actually, it was a lot of fun thinking about uh, how to answer this best. So let me give you my three recommendations. These are my favorites. The first is the, the movie adaptation of the book Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That is a classic from 1974, although the movie uh, that I enjoy came out in 2011. Although I will tell you it's, it's a little bit dark, but it is very good. My second recommendation is a documentary. It's called The Man Nobody Knew. It's about the late CIA director William Colby. And that one is good because, A, it's a true story, but B... I think that it's really timely. And if you watch it, I want you to be thinking about whether our modern CIA is an out-of-control political organization as well. A lot of arguments about that back in the 1970s. Lastly, there is a book that is called Class 11. And that one, it's about me and my CIA classmates. And it's a pretty good and frankly accurate rendering of what the CIA was like 20 years ago when I started with the agency and why so many of us were drawn to surf. So grab that one. Pretty good. Good memories. I think you'll see my name pop up a, a time or two if you read it. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.